Today, we have the privilege of hearing from one of our good friends, Bill Sterling. Come on up, Bill. You guys welcome Bill. Give him a big hand here. Yeah. So Bill is one of the elder statesmen of Love Chapel Hill. Okay. <laughs> and um, so Bill has been a key leader of our church for, for several years, and we're really grateful to have him as a part of this. Uh, Bill is, he works for GlaxoSmithKline in Research Triangle Park, and you are the Director of Health and Safety yep. for the manufacturing plants in South America. That's right. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. I'll practice that. Um, I work in the drug industry and travel to South America frequently. So. Not, <laughs> not shady at all. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Great. And uh, Bill has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Western Seminary, correct? Yep. Okay, you, you fact check me on this if I get it wrong. Right. All right. And uh, Bill started and then for two years led our uh, love recovery ministry here at the church and has served as a mentor for several people and um, just pours into people in, in different ways that are really key and important in our church. And so Bill's going to speak to us today. He has wisdom and experience and a message to share with us. And uh, this is one of the things that we value highly in our church are the voices that God has placed among us, the voices of wisdom that we want to continue to hear from and the gifts that God has given to this church. And we want to always make space to empower that and, um, and give the microphone to people that, that have something to speak into us. So, Bill, come speak to us. and Let's pray for Bill as we get started here. Holy Spirit, thank you for the message that you have crafted in Bill's heart. Thank you for waking him up several weeks back with that and spelling that out in him. Thank you for the words that you have directed him to put down onto paper. And we know that your hand has been in this every step of the way. And so now we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have already crafted in him. Help us to be open and to be responsive. And our prayer is exactly what we talked about last week, that posture of responding to your voice by saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's our prayer this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, there it is. All right. Okay. Um, so I, I enjoy public speaking, uh, but I have to warn you about something. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I started uh, Boy Scouts. And I, my, my thing was knots, tying knots. And so I learned to tie knots really well. And uh, one evening, it was my turn to get up in front of the troop and speak about knots. So I, I had my little knot seminar ready to go. I got up in front of uh, two dozen guys, and my tongue swelled up. It had never happened before. It had never it has never happened since, but it literally like expanded. Maybe there's some medical student who can help me know what exactly happened. It hasn't happened since, but I got up there and I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't speak. I literally couldn't speak. My tongue filled up my whole mouth. So, uh, like I said, uh, don't, don't, don't be alarmed if that happens, but if anyone has an EpiPen handy, uh, if that's appropriate, um, 
Um, so Darcy and I have both of our kids out of the house now. We have an empty nest, um, as I mentioned. And we're taking this time to, to reflect and um, sort of think about the past and, and enjoy the present um, and looking forward uh, to what our lives will be like. Um, and there's a certain sense of loss. Um, you know, uh, w- since, since Nick was born in 94 and Alexa in 99, our lives have been really focused on meeting their needs and experiencing them and enjoying them and preparing them for the future. And um, now their rooms are empty. Aww. Um, so it's bittersweet. And, and I remember that, that moment leaving home. I went to Oregon State. Um, I also remember a moment, I'll go back to Boy Scouts here real quick, um, when I was 12, we went on our, my first 50-mile hike up into the Sierras, and it was rough. It was grueling, um, and that came after a week of, of summer camp, and I was kind of a tender kid. I, I was super homesick, um, and at 12, I was at the bottom of the pecking order. Uh, at least it felt that way to me. In retrospect, I probably needed to, to toughen up, but I, I felt very lonely, um, and I remember one night we spent overnight at a place called Rose Lake in, in Sequoia National Wilderness. I put about ten or 11,000 feet. Just exhausted. And you throw your bag on the ground out in the open. Uh, no tent. I don't know what we would have done if it, if it rained. Uh, and, and again, I just felt really tired, sad, lonely. I mean, it was fun, but I was alone. I was, I. I, I like I said, was, was sort of at the bottom of that pecking order. But I would, I would snuggle into the sleeping bag with a flashlight and a little Bible and read the Psalms. And that's where I really started to, in that, in that hardship, I started to g- get a, a, a sense of personal relationship with, with Jesus. And it's kind of cute. I, it's odd theology, but I would start a prayer, Dear Lord, and then I would talk to him. And then I would say amen, but then I would say, no, I don't want to say amen. I would still want to be with you. I still want to be in contact with your presence. So I won't say amen. I'll just say, dear Lord, and then fall asleep. But then it occurred to me, what if the next day I curse? That will be in the prayer. (laughs) I was worried about those kind of things. But that, was, that, that may seem like a, a trivial example of oppression, and, and it is. But it, I felt a, a, a deep sorrow, and it felt very real to me at the time. And, and that's when I had this profound spiritual experience that was a, a, you know, a milestone as I look back in my life. And I think it's a time when God took my hand and I took his, and, and he said, I've got you. And I'd like to speak today with, with you about oppression and about suffering and offer some words from Jesus that I think set us on a completely different footing with regard to oppression and our place in this world. Um, As part of life, there is a weight on us, an oppression. Sometimes that oppression uh, comes from others upon us, uh, from governments, from, uh, um, uh, you know, oppressive classes, um, one upon another. 
But sometimes it, it, it's imposed on, upon us by ourselves. We're not always kind to ourselves. Um, or if we get sideways with the law, um, that's our fault. Um, but there is a pain and an oppression that is imposed on us at that point. Sometimes there's an oppression from the events of life, natural disasters, as we've seen. And then there's just the passage of time, aging. Um, The oppression of decay as our time on earth progresses. And so I think we live in what you might call almost a kingdom of oppression here on this earth. And then worst of all, if we attempt to live without God, if we attempt to live from self-reliance, there's the worst kind of oppression, an internal oppression, a terrible weight of meaninglessness. The scripture we're going to be looking at this morning comes from Matthew. Um, That can come up uh, on the screen here. And, and in the landscape of, of the Bible, if you think of the Bible as like a, a mountain range, there's, there's peaks, there's highs, and the verses that just stand out among the others. Um, I think Matthew is kind of like the Himalayas. There's a lot of huge mountain ranges um, through the, throughout the Bible, and Matthew is one of those. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Matthew recounts, he recalls the words of Jesus and says, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, let, let's dig into this. I, I really want us to understand what is it that Matthew was saying. I, I think each of us, as we read this, may take a certain meaning. But what was, what was Matthew intending to say? Um, so let's zoom back out to the, to the macro structure of the book of Matthew. And let me just point out, all the authors in the Bible, they had an, uh, an intention when they wrote whatever they wrote. They had some theme in mind. They had some idea that they wanted to communicate to readers across the centuries. They wanted to communicate something to you. So let's dig into this and try to understand what is it specifically that Matthew was wanting to say. Um, For example, Paul and Luke and John, they all had themes. These were smart guys, and they wrote with intentionality. Paul often uh, spoke about uh, grace versus law, and inner and outer self. Those were common themes for him. John, uh, all about love, right? Uh, Luke, when he wrote his two-part series, Luke and Acts, he had a master sort of plan in that he started with all of geography and focused down at the end of Luke. We're in Jerusalem. And then in Acts, he left Jerusalem and went back out to the rest of the world. And you can see that in the literary devices that he inserts into the text. Matthew has done the same thing. So there's a lot of clues in that book for us to understand what is he trying to say to us. 
an important one, Matthew is writing to a Jewish assembly. In contrast, Luke was writing to Gentiles. So, so the Israelites had a certain way of viewing the world. They had certain expectations and desires and, and experience of life. Let's take that into account as we understand this. They were, the Jews of that day were very concerned with the oppression they were experiencing under the hands of the Romans. They did not have the same rights as full citizens. And, and although in some cases they were allowed to govern themselves, they did not have sovereignty. So they were subjects under another ruler. They were also oppressed by their own religious leaders, um, the, the Pharisees of the day. Um, so is the theme of Matthew oppression? No. Verse 1, the very first chapter, says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Whenever you hear David through, throughout the New Testament, even the Old Testament, he is an archetype for the coming Messiah, the king of the Jews. So Matthew is saying Jesus came from David, who came from Abraham. He is the rightful king. So is the theme king? Yes, but it's more than this. Matthew is the only author in the Bible who uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, and he uses it 32 times. And he addresses the question that the Israelites were asking, why didn't Jesus establish his physical kingdom on earth? And by citing the lineage of Jesus at the beginning of the book, he's saying Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. Even the kings of the earth came to worship him. There are, in Matthew, five major discourses. That's the structure of the book. Five major speeches that Jesus makes. And, and Matthew uh, leads up to them, presents them, leads out of them, leads into the next one, presents it, and so forth. The first discourse is the Sermon on the Mount. And think of this as like the king's inaugural address. It's like that. He stands up on a mountain. Um, and it's not just an inaugural address like we're used to from our politicians. Jesus says, I will back this up. He's the king that can do what he says. The Sermon on the Mount in summary kind of says, you can't, but I will. Uh, the second discourse is the commissioning of the twelve. And this is like his cabinet. The king has arrived, and he gives them authority to back it up. So this is not just a new regime. The, the, the third discourse is all those great parables, and they are all about the kingdom of heaven. The fourth is uh, where Jesus addresses what is greatness in the kingdom. And the final one, the Olivet Discourse, uh, says that those who get into the kingdom are those that love the king. That it's not about works, it's about allegiance. So this recurring theme in the book of Matthew is king and kingdom. And this would have resonated very strongly with his audience, with the Israelites. Um, Matthew would have had their attention from this perspective. They would read this and they would say, IKR, right? For, 
for, for, for those of you who aren't as cool or hip as, as I am. I know, right? So I learned that. One of the things I've learned from Alexa. The Jews are all, yes, speak to us from this perspective. So let's look at this verse again. To the Israelites who were suffering under a heavy oppression, the heavy yoke of oppressive overlords, and who were expecting a conquering warrior Messiah, Matthew recalls to them the words of Jesus. He says, Jesus is king. Jesus says, come unto me. You are subjects of the kingdom of heaven. I love this verse, and especially the words gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is contrasting himself with the rulers of the day who were brutal, who had no regard for the welfare of the Jews, um, and who would bust your door down if they wanted to. Jesus doesn't do that. He's gentle. He waits. He invites. Um, He knocks at the door. He forgives. He's kind. And that second phrase, humble at heart, can be interpreted as um, others-centered. So in contrast to the rulers of the day and and many rulers we know throughout history, um, Jesus is not proud. Um, He's not bombastic or pompous or blustery. He's concerned about you. And he yearns for you. So this verse is saying, it's not just a feel-good verse. It says, Jesus is our king, and he is gentle, and he is focused on you. He is a good king. This is the opposite of oppression. Matthew extends Jesus' invitation to change your allegiance, to switch kingdoms from a kingdom of oppression to the kingdom of heaven, to choose Jesus as your king. Uh, Note, however, that the circumstances of the Israelites didn't really change very much, or did they? Well, they were still under oppression. Um, The oppression remained, the political oppression, the struggles of life, the decay of time, Um, They still suffered under physical and emotional pain. It could come and it could go and it could come back. But something had changed. Something is real. Something has happened. We're on a different footing here now. What is that? I want to just briefly mention there's different types of pain. There's physical pain, and that physical pain can come from outside of us through being injured, accidents, Um, assaults. Um, Then there's an inside pain that that comes from aging um, and and decay, illness. Why do I draw those distinctions? Well, emotional pain is the same way. Emotional pain can come from outside of us or it can come from inside. And the outside pain looks like just kind of the struggle of surviving, making ends meet in a rough world, the loss of a job, or rejection from a school, um, poverty, racism. This, this is emotional pain imposed on us from outside. 
uh, fear of a world in turmoil and aggressions of nations against nations. Uh, natural disasters, the death of someone we love, the death of people we, we don't know causes, causes us pain and anxiety. The betrayal of a friend or a spouse. Trauma from assaults, emotional abuse. There's a huge list of, of things that, that weigh on us. But then there's an, an inner pain, an emotional pain, an, an intrinsic fear that there's no meaning in life. Um, awareness of life in a broken creation. There's a, there's a yearning, there's an emptiness in our hearts. And we know something's missing, something is needed. Um, Emily Esfahani Smith, author of The Power of Meaning, and I, don't, I haven't read that book, so I don't know about the book, but she lists four things that comprise a sense of meaning. So any philosophy students in here, you may have heard of this already. I like the list. That sense of meaning can come from four things. Belonging, purpose, transcendence, and storytelling. So that, I won't go into that in great depth, but the idea that we are a part of something. The idea that we have a mission in life, a purpose. The idea that we're part of something greater, that there's more than than me, there better be. Um, And storytelling is that that gives us a sense of, of meaning, like in my, in my family, we have pictures on the wall that, that show, okay, kids, you're part of this heritage, you're the Sterlings or whatever, we went backpacking, or we have this history and this experience, this collective experience together. Um, Edgar Lee Masters, in one of my favorite poems, wrote, life without meaning is torture. I, I agree. And we yearn for meaning. Let me just point out those first three types of pain, uh, the physical pain that comes from outside, physical pain that comes from inside, and emotional pain that comes from outside often remain and will remain and will continue. I'm not getting any younger. But that inner pain, the need for belonging, purpose, transcendence, and storytelling, every single one of those is fulfilled if we come to him. Belonging, purpose, transcendence, storytelling immediately are are put in place. So what is the godly response to pain? Uh, Well, let me just point out, I'm not talking about the pain that that we can do something about because the courageous Christian will work to prevent injury and violence. And we should fight hard to address and confront oppression to right wrongs. Uh, if you had someone who said, who devoted their life to contemplating a flower, and that's all they did. They, they, they said, I'm going to sit in a cave and think about the beauty of this flower. Someone might say, wow, what a, a noble, pure, good life. In, in Christianity, no. Because we're called on upon to bring justice. 
That's what righteousness means. We're called upon to bring justice to the oppressed and mercy and love to the world. So the courageous Christian will hang in there in the face of oppression and blast a steadfast and confident love back into the face of rage. And the courageous Christian will apply wisdom and acceptance to that type of pain that remains. And there's plenty of that type of pain. What do we do with that, is what I'm asking. There will always be loss in the world and decay and disappointment and painful memories. So what do we do with the pain that remains and how should we think about this? The fallen response to pain, what we often do is we work really hard to repress it, avoid it, anesthetize it. Alcohol and other drugs do a great job of that for a while, but there's bills to pay. Uh, uh, Binge eating, uh, self-harm to get an an, an endorphin high, violence, rage as a way of trying to grapple with it or distract from it. Compulsive worry can be a way to deny pain instead of accepting it. Busyness, distractedness, cell phones. There's plenty of things that we can do to avoid sitting down and and saying, I'm in pain and this hurts. I feel this, what's happening. Uh, Sometimes we are better off intentionally experiencing the pain that comes into our life. And I'm not talking about seeking out pain. There's, There's plenty of it in our lives that we didn't ask for. And what do we do with this? Well, it's a very important question because what if the pain is there for a purpose? What if it, it, it's there because God intends to use that pain in our lives to draw us into greater depth with him? Um, now, I don't want to pretend to be the last word on this. Um, and in the case of clinical depression, um, although some of what I have to say and, and what we're learning from Scripture here is helpful. In many cases, uh, medication and professional support is absolutely called for. Um, And I'm hopeful today that what I say will point us to a greater faith and reliance on God, kind of that proverbial moment in the sleeping bag where we take his hand. Um, And that we seek him during the dark times and during the, the good times. So here's a few things that have been helpful to me during the dark times. Number one is acceptance. And again, there's a persistent assumption that we can fix pain. There's a lot of it that we can't. It's just there and it will come at us in waves. Um, the, the surfer trying to get out past the waves so he or she can ride them back has to dive under the wave and he knows that it's only a wave, that it will pass over him. But if he fights it, if he says, I'm going to get through this wave by, by standing firm, he's going to get rolled back up on the beach. And I think pain is in ways similar to that as an analogy. Diving under it, um, acceptance. The serenity prayer, we all have heard, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The second thing is trust. It's related. Uh, Over and over in Scripture, we are exhorted to put our trust in God. 
It's in the Bible so many times in so many ways and so many stories. I think it's there so much because it's not something we would get readily. We're naturally inclined to rely on ourselves. Um, and self-reliance is, to quote the AA handbook, self-reliance is good as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. Psalm 9, 9 through 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The third one, stay in the word. Uh, And again, just me in the little sleeping bag, the 12-year-old kid in a sleeping bag feeling so scared and alone and oppressed. The, The Psalms were such a comfort. And I think that is, I, I, you can't go without saying this. If you're making a list of what to do during dark times, this has to be on the list. Stay in the word. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Four, number four, sometimes we need to lean into the pain. I've mentioned that we work very hard to avoid it. But there are painful times and events that will not go away easily. We ask, why does it hurt so much? How do I make it not hurt so much? Well, the answer is it just does. It hurts. And the Christian life, in fact, is about death and resurrection. Jesus leaned into the pain. He didn't run from it. He got through it. And he will deliver you through it. Um, and the last, number, number five, so I've mentioned acceptance, trust, stay in the word, lean into the pain, um, meditate. Um, I think accepting and trusting uh, God's word and setting aside time to experience the pain intentionally, these things can all come together during the time when you sit to listen for the quiet voice of God. Life is busy. There's, you're not going to be leaning into the pain all the time but setting aside some time to do so. Um, Richard Rohr, a Franciscan monk, um, offers this wisdom. Transformative power is discovered in the dark, in questions and doubts, seldom in the answers. Yet this goes against our cultural instincts we usually try to fix or change events in order to avoid changing ourselves. Wise people tell us we must learn to stay with the pain of life without answers, without conclusions, and some days without meaning. There is the dark path of contemplative prayer. God leads us to a state of emptiness, to that momentary sense of meaninglessness in which we ask, what is it all for? It seems some form of absence always needs to precede any deepening notion of presence. Desire makes way for depth. Life is broken. We live in a broken world. It can be oppressive and painful. We have a choice when confronted with pain. Deny it, fight it, strive to avoid it. All of this drives us to exhaustion. 
and a focus more on ourself and our own pain and, and the cycle continues. Jesus invites us to swear allegiance to him, to identify as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and to trust a gentle and humble king. Take your pain to him and sit with him in it. Take time to experience it in his presence. He is gentle. He is focused on you. You will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this word. Thank you for this invitation. And we proclaim you are our king. And we are astonished at your goodness that you think about us and our needs. And we are astonished at your mercy. Father, please make us aware of the pain in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, in the lives of the people of the world. And please make us aware of your Holy Spirit flowing through all of it, washing and cleansing and renewing, bringing life from death. Amen.